Welcome to Deep Americana. Welcome to a special two-part interview with renowned sculptor and artist Willie Cole, also known as the archaeological ethnographic Dadaist. Check out the links we added to the episode so you can see his work while listening. And please enjoy. So Willie, um, let me start start this out. I actually uh, met you in Wichita, Kansas. You were speaking, I believe, in mid in the mid two thousands. You blew my mind, man. The Suicide Virgin <laughs> to get to the other side. The lawn jockeys, man. Oh, yeah, yeah, the chickens. Yeah. The the Last Supper. That like that really it helped me to like it like think about. Um, the idea of terrorism yeah. and, and how that's applied, you know? Yes, yeah, yeah. So thank you. Oh, hey, I'm glad I'm glad you were touched by the work, man. Man, well, and I've been looking at the other work that you that you've been producing, you know, where you're you, you, you're using domesticated objects right. to to with with you know African culture and and even you know and plastic bottle mandalas, man. That is it's it's profound. And it is empowering on a lot of levels to, I think, a lot of different people. Mm, wow. I, I, I feel like... It's empowering to me. I mean, I'm sitting in my living room now with a nice big eight foot David Mandela on the wall made out of water bottles that I love, especially when the sun shines on it. Yeah. I have and I have other friends that make art, you know, and, and, and things of that nature that have been going to kind of the recycling route for their work, you know, as well. And I think you may have influenced that. Yeah, yes, I see it's uh I'm not the only one these days. No, no, no indeed not. There's even an artist I found on Instagram who is making scorches with a hard steam iron like me. Yeah. Yes, I found that that piece amazing as well. I, I remember that because I've lived, you know, I've lived in in, uh, in 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 bad places or not bad places, but places that that were heavily cockroached. And yeah, 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 yeah. So I've been I've, I've been there too. I've never heard I've never heard cockroach used as a verb before. Oh, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not as uh, verbally <laughs> as astute as you, my friend. But <laughs> oh no, listen, I grew up in a cockroach environment. I turned the kitchen light yeah. and then come back. You got wall to wall cockroaches. Right, right. Yeah. That was that was my life up until the sixth grade. So yeah, I I, I floated from. Uh, from home, to, my mother was extremely schizophrenic, and um, so I lived in in what, what you could call the hood at times, and then I'd live with other family members. Subsequently, that were like in Georgia, and so I saw like a difference in co- cockroaches in Georgia are as big as your fist and they can fly. But I also had the experience where you you know you turn the lights on and they scatter as well. That's why those pieces well resonate with me highly. You know I been there. No, I know. I, I was at Howard UGA in 2005. Right. So I lived in Georgia that year, and I had a couple of jumps, giant cockroaches in my apartment. Yeah. So I've got got some questions here, man. If, if so, in your in your work, use domestic objects, and are are you blurring the line of of high art and folk art by doing that by using domestic objects? You could say I'm blurring the lines, 
But really, I'm just in their, in their tradition of uh, a little Picasso, right. a little Art Provera. Uh, I think it was Mario Merz in Art Provera. And, uh, you know, Klaus Oldenburg. Just, it's, it's almost pop art for me to use a popular, common, everyday object. Um, I think that the way that I assemble the things is akin to folk art in a lot of ways. Right. Especially nowadays, because this, this stuff is not fabricated, it's not, you know, it's the original stuff. I right. don't paint it, I use it just as I find it. Right. And I tell myself that I'm making objects for the real world, not just for the gallery museum. So if I'm making, say, a, uh, a mandala out of water bottles, I'm making it for its spiritual value, not just its decorative value. Right. Not just, not just to hang in a museum, but to bring energy into my environment. <laughs> so that's kind of, uh, I guess that's the point where spirituality and, and commercial art practice collide in, in folk art. You know, if you think about uh, that artist, he was a painter. What's his name? I met him in Georgia. But he was a folk art painter, and all his work was about the Bible. Okay. You know, so I think that folk art is the, the place where spirituality and fine art come together. <laughs> Well, hey, it's, it's not, yeah. not so much blurring the line, but peeling back the layers. So the, another thing that I, that I've noticed uh, throughout your career, man, is that that you form communities, and and so so I guess what I'm getting at there is is what what uh, what does it do for for others and for you to empower other people. Um, you know, and to form communities. What's that about? Uh, well, for me, it helps me to recognize who I am, even when I feel like less than myself. Like I have a, a young assistant, and he clings to every word I say. And I say, when I'm talking to you, I'm also talking to myself. I'm reminding myself of this journey and this goal. So that, that like makes him like a believer, like a follower almost. Right. And he claims every word I say. So that happens. I think people need to have role models or roadmaps even. Right. And I've become, I've done that for a lot of people. And my own roadmap. I have to tell you quite honestly, I say like in, 19, in 1985, I worked as an art handler at the Studio Museum in Harlem. Right. And there were three artists in the studio at that time. One was Terry Atkins. So I, and I became friends with these three artists. And I watched them over the years and realized that the one that had the road that looked like the good road to me was Terry Atkins. Okay. So I tended to follow that road for a while. And uh, I guess I'm saying this to say that every artist, you have, you have to find somebody who's on that track that you want to be on. So you can recognize, you know, the steps that you need to take. Right. I 
guess because I'm not the one who I'm not pretending. I'm just living. Right. And I, I speak clear, so that resonates resonates with people. I guess that's what it is. I, I don't know. I never thought of it as building communities. Well. But I, I think you did, you know. Didn't you start, like, you started the film department where you went to college, didn't you? Or your the stage department or something? Oh, yes, yes. That you was know? in high school. In high school, even. Yeah. Well, it was just that, you know, we needed it. Right. I mean, I, I was writing plays and things in high school, mm-hmm. and I needed to have a group of people to put them on the stage. Right, right. So I convinced one of the English teachers to, to help us start that department. Cool. It's just a, it's just a, you're feeling the needs, basically. Like, when I lived in Newark, I had a studio. I turned into a gallery because there's only one gallery in town. And they were not, and that gallery was not showing artists of color right. at that time anyway. So there was a need for it. So I had to be done. No, that's, that's awesome. It sounds like, you know, especially helping each other out, you know. Yeah, and, and again, it's learning. It's learning for me too. Yeah, I know when I had the when I first moved back to Newark after having worked in theater for a couple of years out of state, I moved into a loft, and um, I had to go on a full time job as a computer graphics artist. So I was doing graphic design on a computer, but I was using my loft as a gallery. Right. So I started a nonprofit corporation and I had shirt works of all the local artists at that time. And that was my version of graduate school because I didn't go to graduate school. Right. But all these artists I showed had gone to graduate school. Right. So speaking with them, looking at their work, you know, asking what they're reading, you know. So it's, it's, it, it feeds me as well as the people around me. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a mutual thing. It's a positive yes. thing, very positive. Yes, yes, and that's that's how energy works. You know, one person can generate. Uh, I guess the birds are an example. You see, there's always one bird in the lead, but they take turns. Mm-hmm. They ride on, on each other's breeze to make the journey easier. Right. And I think it's the same way with 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 uh, organizations of people. Mm-hmm. So you learn and get strength and energy from everybody that you are around, as long as you're aware of the possibility and open to receive it. Right. Yeah. And that's how I how I choose to live. Well, that's amazing, man. Um, with with that, do you notice any differences in the protests you protests you uh, attended in early on yes. and the protests now? Well, the obvious difference is that the protests now are multiracial. I mean, the last time I marched in the streets was to end apartheid. Okay. I had my my little son with me, he might have been eight or nine years old, and we marched for apartheid in Brooklyn and in New Jersey. But it was an all-black crowd. <laughs> um, so now it's it's different. It's uh, it's everybody, and it should be. So I'm glad to see that. Yeah, it definitely should be. Um. Uh, another difference that that I observed through the media, so it may not be a truth, but right. it's a media difference. Okay. Is the media doesn't show a leader. It just shows a crowd of people. I've noticed that. You know, back in the 70s and the 80s, there was always a leader that they would focus on. Right. 
So that's that's a big difference too. But I'm sure leader must exist. That means social media has helped the crowds to get bigger. Somebody's orchestrating that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I I tend to think sometimes too the media is just kind of spinning things. Yeah. You know, and that's actually kind of terrifying. But yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's this whole time period we live in right now is terrifying, but it's beautiful as well because there's these progresses and realizations happening as well. You know, but it's still terrifying. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's terrifying. Yeah. You know, I, like I told myself in the beginning that. Now is the time to live every day like it's the last day of your life because you never yeah. know. Yeah, no, that's a hundred percent. I've my whole life, but now it has real meaning for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, so you could walk outside feel. and anything could, seriously, anything could happen. People, yeah. it's just, it's nuts. Yeah, you could just be in the wrong path of the wrong sneeze and your life mm. is over. Yeah, yeah. So you gotta really stay on That's been good for me. That's brought me out in a lot of ways, things that I didn't, like, I played music, but I haven't played music, like, publicly in many, many years. Like, probably over 30 years or more. Well, I was going to say, I caught a little, little bit of it. I think you were you were uh, covering a Bob Marley song I caught on your Instagram or something. It sounded yeah, pretty good. Yeah, yeah, So I, I said, I started the, the, the quarantine thinking I would do that regularly. Mm-hmm. But it's really just a flow of creative energy. Right. So that, that energy slid back into my sculpture. <laughs> so well, don't, don't you have classical guitar training as well? Yes, I oh. studied classical guitar. I studied as an adult, though, because I started playing guitar as a little kid. Uh, I got a guitar, uh, my first guitar in the 60s. When the Beatles came to the U.S., I begged my dad for a guitar. Wow. But because I was left-handed, I could never find a teacher. And because oh. I was poor, I didn't have a big avenue for searching, just in the neighborhood. Right. <clears throat> so I played by ear all through high school and... Uh, in college, when I went to Boston U, I took a piano class, but I didn't know how to play the piano. Hmm. But I sat and listened all the time, and you know, I didn't expect to pass, but I wanted to be in the mix. Right. And I met this uh, another student there who was a PhD candidate in the music department. He and I became good friends. And this guy was like super gregarious, big personality. Every day after lunch, he would get on the piano and play the greatest hits, like Stevie Wonder and all the songs of the mm -hmm. 70s. Everybody would just clap and have a great time and sing along. Oh, yeah. And then he would look at me and say, okay, well, now you play. <laughs> and I would sit down at the piano and go, bling, bong, bling, bong. Yeah, right, right, right. And the crowd would disperse. <laughs> right. But that gave me determination. Yeah, well, that's how you learn, too, you know? Yes. You so got to do it. Later, five years later, I took lesson, piano lessons for one year. Oh, okay. Just to help my my technique. So I was able to play by ear after a while. But when I moved out of the city to where I live now, I didn't have a piano. So I picked up my guitar again, and I started playing in my daughter's room every night mm -hmm. by ear and enjoying it. So I decided I would take some classical lessons, which I took for about four years. Excellent. Yeah. So I got a long way to go, but I love I love the vibration of the guitar. I think it's healing against the body. Yeah, and I play acoustic guitar. I mean, I had electric, two electric guitars too. Right. I had electric all through high school and college, but nowadays I'm really interested in uh, acoustic guitar 
that. I like the country. I like bluegrass. I like jazz. Cool. I like folk. Have you ever listened to uh, these, uh, a guy who dropped out of, I think, Berkeley, uh, getting classical guitar trained, Michael Hedges? Oh, yeah, yeah. I know, like, cool. He passed away, though. Yeah, he did. He, he did. Still, he did. He was amazing. No, that era where he was like very public was a big inspiration for me because there were many guitarists at that time who I would say they played impressionistically. Right, okay. That's the way, that's the way Keith Jarrett describes his piano playing. So you just pick up the instrument and you just play. You just flow with the feeling of it. Right. It doesn't have to be a 1-4-5 or the key of this, the key of that, but the feeling comes through. Right. And I did a lot of that with a friend of mine. We would do uh, duets all over uh, New Jersey. We would just go in with our guitar and sit and play for like an hour or two hours with no plan. <laughs> so, cool. So I love Michael Hedges. Yes. Yeah. No, it's very, very good. And like yeah. to to look at popular music and then look at how he played was just amazing. You know. Yeah. yeah. See, I feel that music and art are the same. As I said, yeah. creativity is like a force in the universe. Right. Just like gravity right. is there for anybody to catch it. But yeah. you have to be aware that it exists and be willing to let it in. Well, what, what do you what do you think about this concept that you know somebody that has mental illness or has a disability, um, you can I, I feel like you you can completely use creativity to heal or or help help deal with those issues, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, you you can you can use arts. I don't know if you can get permanent healing, but it's very possible you can if right. you take the art to the point of color, color science and, you know, sound therapy. Yeah. But I was going to say... Production, you only control the moment that they're producing. Right. I was going to say one of the things, too, though, that, that I, whenever I think about that idea, is that how many visual artists, musicians, you know, creative people in general are mentally ill, you know? So right. maybe that is further them, you know? I, right, right. I, I think. Well, mental illness is a questionable term, too, though. Yeah, I don't like it. What, you know, what is sanity? Right, I mean, right. We measure, we measure people with ourselves as the center or the norm. Right. For their which we are centered the more insane than they seem to be. Right. Uh, you, you, you know, one of one of the things I want to throw this on there is that it's it's I, I, I think there's some kind of connection there in, in a way with the shaman and the schizophrenic person. Maybe they're tapped into the same thing, they're just in two different cultures, you know. Yeah, yes, no. I think that term tap into is what it's about for all of us. Like right now, I'm sitting here in front of CNN with the sound turned down, I'm tapped mm-hmm. into their energy. Right, okay. I think that a, a shaman is, is tapped into dimensional energies. Right. Where, you know, it's like the, um, the column that connects heaven and earth and, and the Greek... Uh, the Greek uh, architectural uh, tradition, that column represents the connection between heaven and earth. Right. The, le- the letter I represents that connection, capital letter I. So I think a shaman has that same position right. in a tribal society. Right. Yeah. So it's not, it's not so much schizophrenia, but it's like uh, like the old-fashioned phone line. He's got an open line. He's got a party line. He can, right. He can hear the conversations <laughs> to other calls. Right, right, right. Oh, yeah. 
which, uh, you know, people who are not shaman can do also. Right. People in the same people who hear sounds and voices. Maybe those voices and sounds, they really exist. Just the majority of people can't hear them or see them. Right. Well, it's like with, cause my mother was schizophrenic and bipolar very severely. <laughs> And she would be talking to me, and this uh, would be talking to me about things, and it was almost like she was viewing time as not linear when she was addressing things in a lot of these states of mind. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. That, and that often made me think of, you know, well, is t- do you think time is linear? No, I think that... This is like now should be a chart to draw this on. Yeah. But I think that we live in a stack. Okay. So yeah, there is there is a, a linear line that measures time. Right. But it's also a vertical line that measures time. But we move along that in a diagonal way. So it's a grid and we are the diagonal line that moves along it. Our awareness determines which horizontal line we're moving moving along. So if I'm moving along the third horizontal line, but then I get a new awareness, my angle changes. I may go up to the next horizontal line and continue across that. And those horizontal lines, to me, represent uh, awareness, but also dimensions. Awareness of right. dimensions of existence. So. And I know it sounds sounds crazy, but no, it doesn't. It's like, it's like um, this is a good example. This actually is a crazy example. Okay. I do not realize that Donald Trump was president for four years. Oh, okay. I thought it was just two years. Okay. So, so that tells me I missed two years somewhere along the journey. Right. So what happened? I came to one of those points where I had a certain awareness and my angle changed, I went up to the next horizontal line. So everything that happened on the next level, I don't have a memory of it. Interesting. <laughs> I don't know. I've been trying to figure this out. This is something that just occurred well, two weeks ago. What, what if for some reason you had shut that out <laughs> so you didn't have to deal with it, man? <laughs> I, I don't know, but, you know, it's... Right. I, I, I like saying say that there, there are a stack of you. There's not just one of you, there are 20 of you. Like a caterpillar, almost? Uh, if you're standing up. Okay on two legs a vertical stack okay and you're all walking together you all have the same experience but one certainly has a new a different awareness so he's going to move to a different level okay. so now the, the you that was on the second level and you that were on the first level are now one okay so it's kind of like the cone of vision from from each one yes yes and okay. you can merge with a higher level with your higher self just by obtaining awareness and knowledge. Okay. And sometimes that makes, at least in my case, makes me feel like I skipped some years and I, re- I remember that much time passing. Right. I mean, I know it existed because I live in today, which the present always talks about the past, so I know it exists. Right. But my, my remembrance of the experience of that time of those years doesn't exist for me anymore because I was moving diagonally during that time, not horizontally. Right on. 
something like that. I've, I've really been trying to figure it out. I've been thinking about it for years. But you could say you're transcending to a heart like the fifth dimension or something of that nature, and a dimension maybe that you know, a dimension that's not viewing the lower type of dimension, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Like the, there are many levels of existence. Yeah. The one that you, the one that you're on, is the one that you're conscious of. Right. But if you can get a glimpse of another one and connect to that, then you move up to that level, and your whole life is is different. You you feel the change. Would Would you say like positivity has a role in that? Like keeping your mind positive. Oh yeah, positivity is is critical for everything. But positivity can be blinding because uh, right. some people think positivity. I mean, I have to ask, is it is positivity a choice or is it a reality? Is it a state of being or a state of believing? I think it's a state of believing. Yeah. And I, I think that you have to be able to pay attention. And if you're about to cut your arm off, don't be positive, move your arm. <laughs> you know? Right, right. You have to pay attention for yeah. sure. What I always say is you have to pay attention, not pay for attention. Right. <laughs> Try to. Yeah, that's like I say, you have to live. You don't have to work for a living. You just have to live. You know, I've been finding that, that out, I think, more more and more. Yeah. Yeah. And see, that's, that's the level that I, when I made my leap, that's where I went. Because hmm. I've been making a living for many years as an artist. Right. But I have not been thinking about it as just living. Right. Well, it's just, yeah, life. lifestyle. Yeah, so once I get to think of it as just living, I don't have to, there's no stress around it anymore. Right. And things just fall into place. Like, I've had more success during this virus than I've had in many years. That's awesome. Lots, lots of sales, lots of opportunities. Right on, man. And it's because I chose not to not to stress about it. Man, I, you, you got you to teach me <laughs> how not to stress. It, it, and I, I can tune it out, but at some points, seeing, you know, the, the George Floyd getting shot, seeing oh, yeah. all I this mean, stuff, I mean, man. I mean that stuff, too. I'm right. talking about stress for me as an individual because of okay. outside influences right, right, that right. distract us from our inner self the most. Right. right. You know, so I'm, I'm very aware and empathetic and... Right. Even sorrowful for all these things going on in the world. Right, right, right. But as an individual uh, spirit existing in a human form, mm-hmm. I recognize that I was not designed to suffer and struggle. So don't worry about it. Right. Just live. You know, it, it like, like I like I would say, this is not hell. This is heaven. So okay. Worried about. Okay. Yeah. Is this a punishment or is this a gift? <laughs> yeah. I think I think I can attest to that because uh, at one point I had a pretty heavy drug addiction and I lived out of a car, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, everything was pretty negative. I had a relationship that uh, my ex girlfriend had attacked me and broke my ribs and my nose and such, and uh, it, I was in a real negative mind state and forgot a lot of things that I had done, such as like podcasts and different things of that nature. And then I started turning more of a positive one, you know, and... Yes, he took you down one level. Oh yeah, well yeah, I I think I did too, take myself down too as well, you know. And it was just, it was, uh, it was a bad thing. The positivity is great. 
and it, it, it's sometimes it's hard to hold that but I know at the beginning of, of, of the of COVID of the the uh, racism coming to the forefront and things like that George Floyd Breonna Taylor and, and all of those guys getting killed you know I know that it, like I was profound, profoundly stressed out um, and it just uh, sometimes I have it, some things can take me off base but I have learned within this time period of, of positivity and it has helped tremendously man um, that's the power, power of media that's, that's why yes. these are paid for much because they are feeding us ideas that are yeah. desirable for commercial or, or you know manufacturers yeah it's all profit they show you commercials to make you desire those products they show you a story that's people having a bad life and they see people having a happy life in a commercial to right. buy the products and I remember how uh, George Bush the second Right. Became president. He came into office saying that things are going to get bad. So he was but he was preparing you. It was going to be bad, giving you that message. He he was creating it with his words, in my opinion. Okay. Okay. He was he was putting our mindset in that space right. because Clinton left the U.S. with a big surplus of cash. Right. Okay. And everything seemed to be in a good space. Right. But then Bush came and talking gloom and doom, and before we knew it, we were there. Well, yeah, then we had 9-11. Then we had the Patriot Act, which is, uh, in my opinion, why a lot of this is happening today mm-hmm. with the police brutality and, and things of that nature, man. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. It, the marketing, the marketing uh, within these things terrifies me as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think all these things are just take our focus away from our ourselves well, yeah. to be selfish and thinking about yourself right the I me and mine mentality but, yeah but you know just um, I mean it, this is why people meditate this is what, what why the monks are in caves meditating right uh, because they want to avoid the distractions that take you away from the opportunity even takes away from the opportunity to have a greater sense of awareness so that you can move forward right not so much in capitalism but just in life in general right, you know, right. As, a, as a product of nature and coexisting and all that stuff right um, so distraction is a well, big tool how, how do we how, how do you think as a culture that we can get around these things and better ourselves because we need uh, that I think they should teach transcendental meditation in schools okay that would help okay. like from kindergarten forward some schools do that now um, I, th- I think that we could use a, a program called the Good News Show. What is that? It doesn't exist, but there is good news every day, too. You are 100% right, and I love we you for saying see. that. <laughs> I love you for saying that because, yeah, I mean, I, I can't even watch the news. <laughs> yeah, no, I grew up in periods. You know, I, I, didn't, I used to live with a journalist. She was an anchor. Mm-hmm. Okay. PBI news in Philadelphia. It must have been stressful. <laughs> yes, yes, we watched news constantly. Oh, but man. So when she and I broke up, I didn't watch news for years. <laughs> I bet. 30 years. I bet. But then when 9 11 happened, I was just, my house was under renovation. I just moved back in okay. on 9 11. And the contractor called me and said, turn on the TV. And that's, I've been watching CNN ever since then. 
I mean, what did, what did you do after you turned the TV on? On that day? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I called my wife. She was on her way to New York. Oh, my goodness. You know, she was on her way to New York, and she was a woman who would not turn around, you know. She, Driven. She's a great employee. Sure. Right, you're right. Rain, snow, fire, hail, or locusts. She would not miss a day. Well, right on. So I called her. She wouldn't come and turn around. She asked me to call the school and pick up the kids. And the school wanted me to pick up the kids. So that became my day. It was a day of full-time parenting until she got home. But it was unbelievable because where we live is so far from New York. And I'm, I'm not in the city. I actually live in the woods. Okay. Near cool. a stream. Nice and quiet. That's, like, that sounds beautiful. I live in the heart like of Denver. <laughs> You know, like I'm working, yesterday I'm working outside, and my audience was all deer. That's awesome. They walk by, they stop, they look, they continue on. I've, I've had bears do the same thing while I'm working outside. Bears? I've never encountered a bear, but I've, I've been in the country quite a bit in my life, and, and it, yeah. Yeah. Having, so, having that 9-11 to me was almost like a made-for-TV event, because it was so far from my immediate environment. That's yeah. how it felt that day. That's crazy. I know, for me, I was in school, and they're like, do you want to go home? And I was like, sure. I'm going to go get, you know, go get high. I was really young, you know. And and I didn't even think about it. I remember the weeks after where we thought we were going to have a gas shortage. Do you remember that? Oh, yes. Yes. Like, just, it was wild. And then the selling of the idea of patriotism. That's why I found the work that we were talking about so profound is because I feel like you address... You brought the the matchstick where the the, the ch- three chickens on on a plane. You couldn't even get a water bottle on a plane, and that thing was one of the most flammable things. And I, I thought that was just, it was so ironic. It was crazy. It was a crazy time. That's all my nine eleven work. It's amazing work. Yeah. Well, I've got. I don't have. How do I say? I have a show coming up uh, next month, and. Birmingham, Alabama, okay. United America, and of course it's all about these times we live in. So I've made pieces for that that involve the steam iron. Oh, okay. It's kind okay. of inspired by this art critic once wrote that my work with scorches represented the various skin tones of black people. Okay. Okay. That had never crossed my mind before. I never even thought of it as that, but that was his lens. That's how he saw it. So I accepted that. So my new piece. I use the squash rivers and the people that have all been uh, killed by the police. That's awesome. Is it? Did you did you did you post an image of that on Instagram? I post the process when I first started being. Okay. 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 Because I thought I saw some some of your iron, iron images with uh, people, black people that have been brutalized by the police, which I, I yeah, that's I think, it. That's okay. the piece that I'm that I'm sitting down here to pick it up tomorrow. Cool. It's pretty. It's just like a graphic design piece, really. It's just the heads of the people, which are the scorches, mm-hmm. and the name under each one. But there are thousands of them. Since 2000, there are over 2,000 people killed by police. That's in it, it just is, it's, it's terrible. We need equality on all levels. That's it for our first episode. We end here where me and Willie reminisce on him creating a chicken sculpture out of matchsticks and flying it on a plane with no restrictions uh, after 9-11.
as well as he keys us into his newer work where he takes the steam iron imagery further by representing people who have been killed by police. With that, please join us for part two. Thank you.